0: Welcome to Bold Ambition Podcast. I'm Ingrid. And I'm Neri. And we're two passionate Latinas conversing with bold, ambitious voices who are making waves in the world. Every week,
1: we dig into the knowledge of community builders, experts, and thought leaders that equip us to make an impact. Okay, enough talk. Come take action with us.
0: Welcome, honeys, to Bold Ambition Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ingrid Garcia.
1: Hey, Annette here. We're so excited for today's episode. I hope everybody is having a wonderful week so far. And you guys, this episode is so good. We have none other
0: than Denise Hernandez, a powerhouse, if you will, and a force in Austin, Texas, also a bold mover. She is running to be the first openly gay Latina judge to serve county court at law number six in Travis County. And actually, Nettie met her just a few weeks ago before we got to sit down and interview her.
1: You guys, I met her at this Hefas brunch, an event filled with amazing kick-ass Latinas. And she spoke just briefly to the audience. I was so inspired by her boldness, and just everything that she's doing within the community. But let me not get ahead of it myself. Let's go ahead and get started. So today we have Denise Hernandez, and I am so excited to chat with her because this conversation is going to be around the idea of breaking down barriers to increase the equity and inclusion in our communities. And I just love that this is one of her mission statements. Let's get started. Denise, I would love for
0: you to just give us an idea, a background of who you are and where you come from.
2: Yeah. So my name is Denise Hernandez, and I'm really honored to be here with both of y'all on the podcast and sharing a little bit about my story. Uh, I, I title myself a lawyer and social entrepreneur. Uh, so my, my day job is that I'm the deputy director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the county attorney's office. Uh, so I build out criminal justice reform policy, and I teach lawyers how to increase inclusivity and equity in the courtroom. Uh, and then on my uh, side jobs uh, is that I run Hustle for the Cause in Chingwana Fest. Uh, Hustle for the Cause is a social enterprise focused on creating social impact initiatives in the community. So we help people launch nonprofits, we help people launch fundraisers uh, with the overall goal to make a difference in, um, in our in our communities as a whole. And then of course, Chingona Fest is our annual festival, um, Latinx Empowerment Festival, where we're highlighting Latinx entrepreneurs, musicians, creatives, all while raising money to give back to local nonprofits. And I do all of this work because a big part of my life's mission is creating positive change. Uh, I grew up uh, very low income and in a very um, complex uh, environment. Most importantly, I grew up with a lot of adversity. But with all that adversity, I feel like I was rich with love and support by my community, that and my familia. And so, even though we struggled financially, uh, it was a blessing to see my parents give me opportunity uh, to make a difference. And they always instilled in me the value of education, the value of giving back, the value of uplifting your community. Uh, And so a lot of that has shaped me. I went off to become the first person in my family to go to college, and then the first person in my family to become a lawyer with the mission of giving back everything that the community has given to me everything that my familia has given to me in hopes that we can continue to change lives uh, around us. So that's just a little bit about me.
1: Amazing. Okay. And I got to share with our listeners, you are currently running to be the first openly gay Latina judge to serve County Court of Law number six in Travis County. I mean, what an honor it is to have you with us. I was just Yes, I was just reading about it. You have been recognized as an Austin champion of change. You are, you know, currently in this race and you have been endorsed and supported by the Central Labor Council, the Chronicle, various Democrat groups, and even endorsed by the Texas State Representative Celia Israel. Like, what amazing accomplishments.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I, I guess I did leave that part out. <laughs> that, I, that I'm running for office right now. Yes, uh, I am running for, for county court at law number six, uh, running to be the first openly gay Latina to serve this court. But most importantly, the first openly gay woman to serve a misdemeanor criminal court bench. And representation is just so important, especially for our historically marginalized communities. We begin to create change when we create representation and leadership. That is reflective of the communities we serve, Uh, and we we don't have that right now, so I'm really running and hoping to change that uh, on March 1 when Election Day comes around.
0: Well, you are clearly a force in Austin and in our community, especially our Latinx community, which especially needs that extra support and people like you. you know you can't be what you can't see. So, can you share for our listeners who don't know a quick rundown to help us picture the organizational structure of the justice system? Where does this judge seat fall? And just give us more of like that uh, logistical perspective.
2: Yeah. So there are two types of courts: uh, criminal courts. There's um, district courts which handle felonies, and so those are typically your um, very violent offenses. Those are going to be like your murders, sexual assaults, and so on. And then there are county courts which handle strictly misdemeanors. And those are like your DWIs, your thefts, uh, assault, family violence. Uh, The majority of court dockets overall in the United States are misdemeanor cases. Misdemeanor cases are also known to be um, the types of cases that disproportionately impact our communities of color. Uh, And our uh, low income communities. And the reason that is, is because a lot of these offenses are nonviolent, most misdemeanors are nonviolent offenses. Uh, And a lot of them um, start with either a traffic incident or some type of casual uh, encounter with with law enforcement. And so we have seen data has shown that there's a huge disproportionate impact with misdemeanors for communities of color and for uh, low income communities. And so county court at law number six the court that i'm running for is a misdemeanor court specifically this court hears uh cases for all misdemeanors but also leads a youth diversion program called project engage and so that's for young people between the ages of 17 to 21 being uh, sent into this program in hopes to that uh, that they change the trajectory of their lives this is a big reason for why i'm running for this court because a lot of my background and my philanthropic community work is dedicated to helping historically marginalized youth uh, through mentorship, through um, uh, the connection to educational and social services and providing trauma-informed counseling. I do a lot of that work in the community because I was a youth that was on a direction of getting in trouble quite a bit. And what changed my life was nonprofit work and mentorship people who had similar experiences to me, that I could see representation in them, who began to open a new vision of how I could change my life and change the life of my family. And so I know firsthand how we can truly begin to change lives with mentorship and community support. And that's why I'm running to help bring that to this program. So that's a little bit about the legal system and and the different aspects of the courts.
1: I am speechless. But my my next question actually dealt with you know this project engage and its impact. And you're already sharing a little bit of uh, why you want to be so involved in it. But could you also share a little bit more? How is it currently working? How do you see yourself coming in and improving it?
2: Yeah. So the court uh, or the program project engage was started by Judge Brandy Mueller who um, is an astounding judge. I, I've been before her court before. Uh, and the fact that she had this vision to create this program for a need that, it was it was a need, a problem that needed to be addressed. And she developed out that program is amazing. Uh, so the way that it currently is structured is that uh, students are assigned into the into the program, and they are asked to do community service. And then they bring speakers, community speakers, to come and talk to the court. And through this, the hope is that they get connected to leadership roles in community service. There's culturally competent community service because the majority of the participants in the program are Latino. Over 60% of them are young Latinos. The next demographic is young black men. And the majority of the participants are experiencing a social issue, poverty, housing instability, or they have a parent who's currently incarcerated. And so these are all social issues that make it really hard for them to find stability in, in their lives. Uh, because there's just so much oppression and chaos happening. And so the program is a way to provide stability and leadership development through community service. And so it has some admirable aspirations in place. My goal is to expand that impact. To continue to do the community service, but I want to bring more community-centered approaches to the program. So I just want to start partnering with nonprofits to provide trauma-informed counseling for the students, because a lot of uh, young people who end up in the criminal justice system have experienced significant trauma that is left unaddressed in their lives. So how can we begin to provide them to mental health stability? Uh, I then wanna work with nonprofits to provide educational support and job development. Can we get them into a route of um, job training that will provide them 20 plus dollars an hour for financial support so they can build stability for themselves and for their families. And then the last thing is I wanna connect them to mentorship peer mentorship people who have lived experiences like them and and someone explained it to me like oh Denise you're you have kind of like a catcher's mitt approach right you want to bring all these different organizations together to address a core issue Uh, and yeah so that's kind of my, my goal is to bring different communities together so that we can provide a holistic approach of restoration and healing for the participants of Project Engage.
0: This is exactly the type of voices that we need to hear from at Bold Ambition Podcast, specifically because we've spoken before about our passion for the groundwork that is often not really recognized, or maybe it's not as flashy as other systems. But you know, this is this is really important that you're sharing this with us. I'm curious to hear more about your implicit bias and racial equity training that you developed for attorneys, is that something that they have adopted and actually practiced? Or what are you seeing when it comes to to that practice?
2: So I've been doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work in the philanthropic space for many years now. Uh, And uh, I serve on a lot of nonprofits that are focused on building equity in the community. Specifically, I was the chair and I'm the past chair now of the New Philanthropist, which focuses on doing trainings for uh, nonprofits to increase uh, equity and by addressing implicit bias right, and, and structural oppression. And so it really was a blessing when I was brought on as the uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Director at the County Attorney's Office because I was now able to collaborate my philanthropic work uh, with my legal career. And so uh, essentially, we are building and using very commonly held practices on equity. By addressing implicit bias, we're we're asking people to walk through their history of racial identity. When did you become aware of your racial identity? How did you begin to uh, see how that either benefited you or did not benefit you? How old were you when you noticed that? And when you begin to dive through those discussions, whether you're black, uh, indigenous, uh, Latino, or white, you really begin to think about who you are and how you have privilege in society or how you don't have privilege in society. And it's crazy when I ask this question during my seminars, people recognize their racial identity at, at like the age of five or six, right? At a very, very young age. And it is transformative for how they shape the reality and how they view themselves in society. And so in our trainings, we're going over racial identity, we're going over, over racial healing, but most importantly, we're highlighting racial inequities. And we're bringing in data thats that's been conducted by some really well-known authorities on a national level on criminal justice reform. And we're bringing in Um, cultural competency into this teaching. And so uh, the hope is that we are making people more aware of their implicit bias, becoming aware of how that implicit bias was developed. And the more we become aware, the more that we can become intentional with addressing it. If we don't Actively work on our implicit bias, we can't ever address it, right? And everybody has implicit bias, everybody does. And uh, but that's okay because we can begin to address it. And so we have seen significant changes in lawyers who have taken the training. We see them being intentional. We see them recognizing how collateral consequences disproportionately impact communities of color, low-income communities. One of the best moments I can recall is we did an LGBTQ inclusivity training where we taught about how important it is to use gender-neutral language and how important it is to create safe space for LGBTQ individuals in the courtroom. And I see those practices being carried out on a daily basis. And it's really a blessing just to be a part of that work. I am only a small portion of the work. It takes collective action and many, many, many components and movers and shakers who continue to do this work. And so I'm just honored to slowly be a part of it.
1: Denise, I just feel so lucky that you can educate us. I mean, I don't feel like an hour is enough to go through all the impact and the change that you have created in our communities. I'm excited for all our listeners to to hear to hear you speak to hear about the collective effort that it is just being spread out in our communities and here in Austin, uh, because at the end of the day. It's all about looking out for each other, right? And all of us doing our small or big part, in your case, um, and just really taking ownership. At the end of the day, it is our duty to come back to these communities and do our part. Something that really spoke to me was that fundraiser that you just did to support immigrant families. Um, COVID 19, you know, we've had. going through this for two years now and I have seen it firsthand within the community that I work with and COVID really hit these low-income families it hit them the hardest so I want to hear about you know when you launched this fundraiser like what are some stories that you were hearing
2: yeah so when COVID-19 first hit uh, and we were all shut down it was a really crazy experience because Uh, Because I work for a government agency, and and I do have privilege, and I acknowledge my privilege that as an attorney, I have an office job, which allowed me to work from home. But my parents are both blue-collar workers. My dad's an immigrant, and he's a, a truck driver, and he was still required to go into work, even though... At the beginning i mean this it was a scary time right at the beginning it was really crazy because there were, he had a reduction in work but was still required to go in and then i just started hearing a lot of stories from family members and other community members who were still required to go into work and then some people who got laid off uh and so then we saw the development of the cares act right the cares act provided financial support to all of us i think we all got like 1200 unless you were married to somebody who was undocumented or was an immigrant. We saw a disproportionate impact where if you were married to or had someone in your household that was undocumented or was an immigrant, then you didn't receive that financial support that we all received. My dad, that happened That happened to my dad. My dad did not receive any financial support, even though he was directly impacted by COVID-19, the shutdown, seller reduction in hours. There was a financial strain happening, and that just made me realize that if my dad is experiencing this, right, he lives in Houston, there must be communities experiencing that here in Austin that aren't receiving financial support, but are struggling financially and need that support. And we know that the majority of our undocumented and immigrant communities are frontline workers, right? They were working on the front lines, exposed greatly to COVID-19 and then having these disproportionate impacts with health care. And so uh, when I got word of that, all this was occurring, I decided, you know, maybe we can launch a virtual concert. At this point, there had only been maybe one or two other virtual concerts. The idea initially stemmed from um, DJs who were doing DJ sets to inspire community again. I don't know if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, DJ Mel had done this huge DJ set where every, I mean, I want to say there was like thousands and thousands of people who jumped on and just put it on their computer as a way to be like connecting again. And so that inspired the idea of doing a virtual concert. And so we brought on the Tiara girls, we brought on um BDBD Banda, and we brought on some other folks to come uh, and record a set And then we brought on speakers to talk about the impact, encouraging people to donate. So it was called the Poro Rosa grant. And we were raising money to try to give out to immigrant communities. We ended up raising over $5,000 and we helped provide food and financial support. And we partnered with El Buen here in Austin um, to connect to those services. Uh, And it was a really beautiful moment, but it's still... It's still an issue. We see our immigrant community still being disproportionately impacted. Uh, and so it's an issue that we have to continue to fight to address, and we have to all do our part. Uh, but it was beautiful to bring community together to raise some money and uh, and to enjoy some great music at the same time.
0: Your story really speaks to me. Because we are true believers that we must inspire and and educate future generations to break cycles of poverty and emotional trauma. And through these initiatives and achievements that you've launched, I think especially one that's important right now that we're in voting season is your voter registration initiative to increase voter turnout. I think I'm correct when I say that Latinos have been historically not showing up to vote. Can you please speak on why it's so important for our community to show up, show out, and support local ballots?
2: Yeah, so I'm really honored that I partnered with a lot of great people like Jolt, um, with leaders like Jose Velasquez, uh, and lots of other folks to do the Latinx uh, Votes ATX uh, a couple years back. And the goal was to create Culturally competent art and gatherings to engage uh, young Latinos to vote. And the reason it's so important for Latinos in general to vote is because we are a growing population. We and we ha- our buying power is influential. Data shows us that we are the fastest growing demographic. Our buying power is is. Um, astronomical. We have a huge entrepreneur base growing, we have huge influence on where we buy products, and we see that uh, we have an ability to influence change when we all gather together. And the reason this, this is all important is that though we have all of this buying power and we're growing in population there are so many policies in place that disproportionately impact our communities uh, that aren't culturally competent that aren't reflective of the diversity of the latino community Uh, and there's a lot of harmful language that's being used in politics about our community the only way that we can begin to change that is by voting for candidates who understand the Latino experience, and who are fighting for Latino issues. But not just Latino issues. Let me me be clear that it's really important for us to be intersectional because our issues are oftentimes the issues of our other communities that are historically marginalized. So we have to work together, but we also have to be unified in saying it is important for us to vote and get educated to vote. Oftentimes, people don't vote because they feel that they don't know enough Uh, And I feel like there's always one person in our family who kind of activates a vote. He said, Hey, Tia, Tio, you need to go vote. You need to get out there like Papi, you need to go vote. And so I encourage you, if you're listening to the podcast, if you love uh, getting involved in the community that you serve as that, that representative in your community, in your family, and in your community that activates people to vote because sometimes all it takes is one person to say, hey, let's go, we're going to go vote. And then taking a time to just be there for your family. You know, my family did not grow up voting at all. And politics wasn't something we were really involved with, but that's because we, we grew up with such struggle that we were just trying to survive. There really was no room for politics but at the same time, people who are working to survive, those are the people who are so impacted by policy. And so we need that voice there. We need lived experience, people who understand what it's like to, to live in poverty and housing instability, because those are the individuals who have the best solutions to create change in our political system. And so if you're listening, go get your family out there to vote. and let's Let's activate the vote in our community.
1: You heard her. Let's go out and vote. All right. I don't want to say you're all over the place, but you're in all places. I think that's a better way of putting it. You're in all places. And I'm just inspired by what a force of a person you are and just putting your heart in all these projects, initiatives. The next step is you're running for a judge. How did that come about? Tell us a little bit. Where did that inspiration come from?
2: Yeah, I never envisioned running to be a judge ever, uh, and it's really crazy to be experiencing this right now because I one I never saw judges growing up that looked at me like me, uh, and I and I was in court when I was younger uh, because my family was you know navigating immigration court, the criminal justice system, and in eviction proceedings, and so I have been in courtrooms as I was younger and. Courtrooms actually have a very negative connotation for me because every time that I was interacting with the courtroom when I was younger, it was because something devastating was happening within my family, right? Uh, And a lot of those spaces lack representation and they aren't culturally competent. So you can really feel excluded from a space that's supposed to execute justice, right? When I decided to go to law school, I was committed full on to being a lawyer and just trying to create as much change in social justice as I could. And then what really woke me up from maybe exploring being a judge was last year, we saw so much disruption. The pandemic magnified so many old social issues. We saw the murder of George Floyd. And there was this demand from everyone of wake up. There is such chaos and racism and just such uh, such disproportionate impact in our communities. How do we begin to change this? And it was, to me, we were all experiencing trauma, right? All at once through, through the pandemic, through uh, what, seeing what happened to George Floyd. But a lot of communities had, have been experiencing that type of trauma and disproportionate impact for decades and centuries, right? My communities that I'm a part of, the Latino community, the LGBTQ community, coming from you know, being the daughter of an immigrant, the discussion around racial equity and the discussion around a lack of inclusivity in the courtroom is something that's had almost like on a weekly basis in my, in the communities that I'm within. And so when last year, or I say last year and I'm realizing it's 2022. So 2020, that's how crazy, right? All of this has been. So 2020, when all of this is happening, it was just an awakening that if we want to see change, we need change happening at all forefronts of society. We need We need district attorneys and county attorneys who are moving towards change. We need public officials, city council people who are moving towards change. We need entrepreneurs, podcast hosts moving towards change. And we also need judges who are moving towards change. We can't, it it requires collective action for us to create that change. Uh, And so I, I just Took a moment to reflect on whether or not i was seeing the representation and change that i wanted to see in the courtroom did what did i see that in our judiciary and and i felt like it was missing it i felt like there was the there was a lack of being community centered and equity driven and people who were willing to bring in innovative solutions new solutions that weren't this is how it's always been done type mentality, but instead more of a let's think outside of the box and work with community to create solutions. After just experiencing all of that and a lot of people encouraging me to run, I decided to to take a leap of faith and to put myself out there and hopefully try to make some difference. And, And one thing I just want to share, you know, there was advice that was given to me that really transformed how I looked at politics because the political... Uh, realm, I think is very toxic and very traumatic driven um, and very competitive in nature. And uh, uh, I had a friend tell me who said, Denise, there's two ways you can run a race. You can run a race just to win. That's all you want to do. The focus is just to win. Or you can run a race to tell a story and to make a difference, and to help people feel seen, and that to me just made it clear that I can run for office and stay true to my my being community-centered, equity-driven. I don't have to engage in the toxicity that exists within politics. I can bring this new realm of I'm just going to focus on making a difference, and I'm going to tell my story in hopes that it inspires somebody along the way, right? We plant seeds, when we talk and when we engage in community and those seeds eventually grow and transform into change.
0: Well, we are so thankful that you decided to take that leap of faith. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you for educating us and sharing with us about the true groundwork you're doing within our community. Of course, you'll catch me and Nettie at the ballots this week voting for
1: you. So cheers to that.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been an honor sharing space with y'all today.
1: Denise, uh, I want to wish you the best of luck. And not just that, I hope we continue to see you um, in other, you know, working together maybe uh, one day. I think it's amazing to be surrounded by women like you, people like you that give it their all for their communities and understand that there's a lot of work to be done.
2: Thank you again. It's honored to be here with (sighs) y'all.
1: What an amazing conversation,
0: Nettie. I am absolutely in awe and inspired by her ethos of breaking down barriers to increase equity and inclusion in our communities, specifically, like we mentioned in the interview, like Latinx communities, our community.
1: Yeah, it was such a refreshing, fabulous conversation. I mean, I think Denise's ambition to run for judge just kind of goes and shows like shoot higher, go, go to those places where we can actually make change. I think it is so important to see women like her truly being hands-on and doing the groundwork that will better our communities, um, our families, and ultimately the next generation. I
0: love how it circles back to, to doing community work, having conversations within our peers, within our circles, to create small impacts of change because really that's all we can do and ask for, just being the change that you wish to see in the world, for lack yes. of a better quote. <laughs> but I think it does start there and I think she's a great example of the type of change that we'd like to see in our community.
1: And to all our listeners, this is one of the reasons why Bold Ambition is around, why Ingrid and I you know, work around the clock Basically, (laughs) looking and meeting all these amazing women that can empower us, educate us, inspire us, and truly be our hermanas, right? Like hand in hand, doing all the work to better ourselves, those around us and our families.
0: So with that being said, we do have a little bold homework to encourage you for this week. And this week's bold move is to go vote it is voting season and if you're not sure how to vote feel free to dm the bold ambition podcast instagram and we'll give you some deets
1: yes absolutely you've got this it's in your power it is our responsibility as citizens in the society to participate and really take ownership of doing our part so let's go vote people catch you next week